0: Well, as James said, uh, today was going to be the last uh, session on Nehemiah and I'm still going to do the, the last <laughs> chapter. If, you, if those of you were here last week um, will realise that uh, James was not able to do that and you had to put up with me then and you've got to put up with me today. Um, but here we go, Nehemiah chapter 13 and the question that we might ask is, does does the book, does Nehemiah's account of what's going on end on a high? You know, uh, is everything tied up and comes to an end and, you know, you get sort of a satisfactory conclusion? And many people have read the book and, and studied the book and said, no. The end of the book is realistic. And we will find out why. And I've called today... A work in progress. I think you're a work in progress because I I know I am. Thank God I'm not quite the same as I was when I first became a Christian. I mean, I think Heather would be very relieved about that. (laughs) But I'm still a work in progress. And I guess you're a work in progress. What do I mean by that? Well, God, God has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for, for each one of us. But there's still a lot, long way to go. And that's through the church. Together we're a work in progress. And we'll see this very fact from Nehemiah chapter 13. Okay. Um, I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter. I, I think I'll read the first section to you, chapter 13, verse 1. And here we go. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam, to call a curse down on them, our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing when the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were foreign of foreign descent. Before this, elishab, the priest, had been put in charge of the storehouse storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levite singers and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Archimedes of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later I asked, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had been, had not been given to them and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and oil into the storerooms. I pushed Shalamiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and and a Levite named Padaiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan's son of Zakuul, the son of Mataniah, their assistant because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services, a work in progress. You know, our friends in the Methodist Church have a beautiful service once a year, usually at the beginning of the year, called a covenant service. And uh, too many years ago uh, to call now, when I was still a Methodist, I remember going to a couple of these services. And... um, really it's it's quite beautiful and it's set in the context of breaking of bread and what they do is they um, again remember God's covenant with us as the people of God and commit again their side of the covenant and this is what the people promise. I'm not No longer mine, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. My, what a promise. What a promise. Now I am absolutely sure that there are very, very, very many people who when they say these words Mean them wholeheartedly. And at the time they think, yes, this is what I really want to do. And then, in honesty, maybe only a few days later, look back and think, I haven't done that. Not really. It's a bit like us, isn't it? When we sing, as we have done from time to time, all to Jesus, I surrender, all to him, I freely give, I surrender all. And we mean it. When we sing it, we mean it. And yet if we're honest, when we look back we think, I haven't done it. That's just the way it is. I surrender all, everything. We mean it. But let's be honest, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Now look at this. When, when Toby was with us a couple of weeks ago, he preached from chapter 10. And this, this is what the people promised. This is the climax of the chapter. We will not neglect the house of our God. That's what they promised. Did they mean it? Of course they did. Was that their intention? Of course it was. They did mean it. But now look in chapter 13. What does Nehemiah say? Why is the house of our God neglected? So, from chapter 10 to chapter 13, look what's happened. All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. So, what has happened? What had happened? Well, a number of things. Nehemiah had gone gone back to the king, probably to Babylon, from, from the text. He'd gone back. His time as governor was over. He'd perhaps been recalled. He, he had to go back, report what had happened. Nehemiah had gone, and of course he'd left other people in charge. Now, Tobiah, who you may remember... Was was one of those that were opposing the building of the wall. He'd been given a room in the temple by Eliashib the priest, not to be confused with the high priest of the same name, by the way. But he'd been he'd been given a room by him. Well, actually, the the, the story says that Eliashib and Tobiah they were associated in some way, may even be Sort of connected family. We're not sure, but been let into the temple room. And at the same time, the ties for the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and others had not been given, had not been collected, and and therefore, that is probably why a room in the temple had become vacant. And what was the result? The worship in the house of God had suffered the Levites and the singers, in order to to live, had gone to working in fields. Wow. Now that had been going on. We haven't read this, but another thing that had happened on the Sabbath, the market and the city were open for business. There was trading going on, on the Sabbath day. And finally, and we stand and read this either, many mixed marriages had taken place with the result that the children of those marriages, some of them, couldn't speak Hebrew. Oh, wow. So a lot had changed. There was a good intention at the end of chapter 10 But Nehemiah had gone, and by the time he came back to see how things were going, all this had happened. So the big question here is, had Nehemiah's reformation failed? Now, the wall had been built. That practical part was successful, obviously. It was built in 52 days. An amazing thing to have done. But that was only a symbol of the the bigger issue that Nehemiah was about. He was about reforming the way the people of God were and lived. Bringing them back to the word of God. And had that failed? When we read chapter 13? Well, let's see what had happened. Very briefly. Why had things gone wrong? One, Elijah the priest had listened to the wrong voice. Now, this is me imagining it Nehemiah's gone. Tobiah says, comes. He comes in and he says, Hey, Elisha, we're connected, aren't we? You know, you could say, You and me, we're family. I would really, you know, we're on the same side, really, aren't we? I know we've had this problem about the wall. I, I know. We, we, we've settled here. We've been here longer than you have. But but we're family, aren't we, really? We're, we're really, we're on the same side, ultimately. And you you need good trade. And we need good trade. And wouldn't it be good if I, I was inside? And Elijah not taking notice of what God had said, Eliash said, well, as it happens, rooms are becoming available in the temple. Yeah, why don't you have one? And so he'd listened to the wrong voice. There was the voice of God in the word. Of, in the word. There was the voice of Nehemiah who, who had led the the people in Reformation, there was the voice of Ezra who had expounded the word. Ah, but to Eliashib, the voice of Tobiah was persuasive. And he'd listened to the wrong voice. Isn't it easy for us to do the same individually? All to Jesus, I surrender. Ah, you don't want to give that up though, do you? I mean, there's no harm in that, is there? A different voice. Lord, I'll serve you and I'll do whatever you want. Ah, but you can't, you can't, you can't do that can you because you're not adequate or you're not clever enough or you're not worthy or you listen to the wrong voice easily done and it's different for all of us individually isn't it the wrong voice that you hear and the wrong voice that I hear are probably completely different and the temptation is to say well I'm only human, aren't I? And, and well, I'll, I'll do, I'll give in to it. You know, that's, that's true for us as individuals, and it's something as a church that we've got to take on board. Not every voice is wrong, of course. In the future, as a church, we might face competing good sounding voices. You should be involved in community. Yes, we should. You should be involved in evangelism. Yes, we should. You should be involved in work overseas. Yes, we should. You should be involved in in getting this new place to meet. Yes, we should. You should be involved in discipling people. Yes, we should. And yet, some things are compatible, but some things we have to say, this is what we do first, and we leave that Because of where we are and who we are. And we need, individually and together, to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit. If we learn something from Revelation, it's this He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. As Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He'll bring to mind what I want you to know. He'll guide you. We need to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And if you want to pray about the future of new life, this is one thing that we need to pray: God, help us, not just individually, but together, to hear Your voice and then give us the power and the grace to do what you say. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Thanks for the amen. That's good. I love it. (laughs) God, give us the grace, the courage, the vision, the power to do what you say. Because in Nehemiah's day, they didn't. Oh, we're just like them, aren't we? We are. I didn't read this bit. But they were trading on the Sabbath. And you know, for them, making money had become more important than obeying God. Maybe number one led to this, number two. Tobiah had worked his way in and the values that he brought with them, the lowering standards had wormed their way in. So, when Nehemiah got back to Jerusalem, what was happening? Markets were trading, the gates were open, people were coming in from outside, hustling around, buying and selling on the Sabbath. Now, I could have, we could digress on the Sabbath. I'm going to ignore that whole thing. There are big issues in this chapter. So let's ignore the whole principle of, of the Sabbath at the moment but see what was going on. In defiance of the word of God and in, in defiance of obeying him, they were making money. Well, just as Nehemiah had thrown out all Tobiah's possessions out of the temple. Who does that remind you of? Yeah. So he did it on a wider scale. He, he, he said, shut down the market on the Sabbath, close the gates and, and then the traders from outside came and they camped out. I think they did it for a couple of weeks and then they realised that Nehemiah was not going to let them back in. Not on the Sabbath. Pretty, pretty straight down the line guy, you know, Nehemiah fairly decisive, and you could almost say ruthless. But he was committed. As Jesus said, you cannot serve God. Sorry, I can see some people can't see actually. You can't serve God and money. And that's the principle here. It would be easy for us to point the finger, first of all, at our cousins across the pond in the States and talk about mega churches and pastors who have private jets and limousines and all that sort of stuff and say, oh, you know, we don't get into that. But let's be careful. Let's be careful because it would also be easy for us to point the finger at the proverbial thermometer outside the church building, where people think that all the church is about is raising money. But let's be careful. Let's be careful. It's not just money, it's material things. I believe God is leading us about the Laura Ashley shop, but let's be careful. That must not become the most important thing in itself. It's serving the Lord. It's seeing people one for Jesus. Now that's going to be a great vehicle, we believe, for it. But let's keep the perspective right. Let's not invest in the building as such, but lest us invest more in the way God leads us by his spirit, and if that includes giving us a building, praise God. You get the difference? I know I've told this story before, but once I I was involved in a a group that was overseeing a, a church, and they had to choose between going for a building or going for Leadership. They chose the building, which seemed sensible. What happened? They got the building, but lost the people. Let's, let's take counsel on that. We're serving the Lord, not anything material. And then the final thing was compromise in terms of mixed marriages. Nehemiah was horrified to find that this had happened and that even some children of those marriages couldn't even speak the local language, which in Judah at the time was Hebrew. And so they compromised. They compromised on what God had told them, keep themselves pure now these passages like this have been misused because it looks as if the Jews were going for racial purity. That was not the issue. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, you will find foreigners in that genealogy you will find Ruth, the Moabitess. That's not the issue. Messiah was quite prepared to have non-Jewish blood in his ancestry. Let's hear that. The issue was faithfulness to God and his word that's the issue and brothers and sisters that is an issue we may increasingly face listen to a, a lengthy discussion this morning on conversion therapy, heard about it it was on the radio this morning where it it could, even if Christians get a good influence on the government, it could still end up illegal for us to counsel and pray an under-18 teenager about their sexuality and gender. Now that could apply to people 17, 16, 15, 14, the sort of age, 13, where young people struggle. And even if good legislation as such is passed, that could still be illegal for us. It could still be illegal for us to declare that this is what the Bible teaches, God created them, man, or God created humans in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Full stop. Now, folks, we need to, pro- to approach all people, whoever they are, whatever their orientation, whatever their gender, whatever their problems, with love, grace, compassion, mercy, acceptance. But with that, we need to remain faithful to the word of God. That's going to be a difficult but necessary balancing act where we are clear about what we believe God says but filled with compassion and grace and love for whoever approaches us. You didn't know these big issues were in chapter 13, did you? Neither did I, but they're there. God give us grace in all of this. We must not let the world squeeze us into its mould. And what does that mean for us as individuals and church? I'm nearly done. I'm done, actually. It means this. There's a constant need for reformation and renewal. We can't stay as we are. We need the Lord to continually lead us in the way that he wants us to go. And we need a constant refreshing by the Holy Spirit. My heart is that this place, this people, us, we, become or remain and become even more a place where whoever comes in can find the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the renewal of Jesus. Because he can do it. To follow him is the best thing in the world. To be like him is what he wants us to be. Thank God for Nehemiah, the so-called restoration man. But thank God more for Jesus. Jesus who restores, forgives, heals, makes new. And whose coming we celebrate this time of year. Amen. Amen. Can we, ju- can we just uh, wait on God for a moment? Because there are big issues here. Lord we need you, I need you, I'm a work in progress, we're a work in progress, we need you and Lord around us are thousands of people who need you. And We live in a society that increasingly needs you. Lord, we come to you and pray that you will pour out your spirit upon us and that you will be the type that you will cause us to be the type of people you want us to be. Lord, fill us with your grace. Fill us with your mercy and compassion. Lord, your arms are open wide to us. May our collective arms be open wide to all who will come, to all that we meet. But Lord, make this place to be a place where people become like you and where together we become more and more like you. Send your power, Lord. We've sung it this morning. Send your power, Lord. O Lord, our God. In your wrath, remember mercy. We just worship you, Lord, and praise you. Amen.